Grand Rising, everyone. Natalie coming to you live. Spirit and coffee. Got my coffee here. Yum. Oh, I have been drinking my coffee black and it's been phenomenal. Oh my God. So good. I put some cinnamon, cardamom. I forget. Sometimes I start using creamer and I'm like, then I go to the black coffee and I'm like, dang, this is good. <laughs> Anywho, um, so had Pam on, my friend Pam talking about astrology. Pretty awesome, if you will. I thought, you know, having people from different perspectives and different ways of communicating this information is critical because not everybody's speaking the same language. Some people are using different processes to get to the same place. And I love that. That's what that's the beauty of alchemy, spiritual alchemy, is that there's many ways to get to the same place, right? And the same place being what? Well, the transcendence of the soul or ascendance, whatever you want to call it, right? We're we're reaching those um expanded states of consciousness and we're able to sort of rip the bubble apart so much that we're able to find unity. And and I'm changing the language a little bit here because I don't think there's levels of consciousness is something that I'm um want to contribute if somebody's not already doing it. I'm sure somebody's already doing it because if I'm thinking it, of course other people are thinking it. But consciousness itself um I think is contracted or expanded. And I think that that gives us a better way to describe what consciousness may or closer to what consciousness is. We don't really have nobody knows what consciousness is. Um, you know, we can't really put a word on it and people don't agree a hundred percent um especially in academia what consciousness is um you know scientifically it has a different meaning you have psychology sociology they they might label it something a little bit different um some people believe that everything has consciousness some people only believe that you know human species and animals have consciousness so there's this whole ray but for me i say it's very easy if we just say that there are um a contracted consciousness and expanded consciousness and contracted would be the tiny tiniest particles maybe minerals even even smaller than that right when we go down to like the quarks in quantum physics all the way to the big stellar bodies right these big beautiful um stellar um suns that are that are created and the material and because we are created from stardust um literally um, that because of that, their complex consciousness does sort of arise from that and, and the consciousness starts to expand, not necessarily levels, right? Um, we wouldn't say that a grain of sand has a level of consciousness. I would say it have a contracted um, consciousness. So looking at those different things. Um, but I also wanted to talk about, this is kind of free flowing for me today. I know before I was reading the book and sometimes I stray away from it because I feel like there's other things to talk about that might be more important. <laughs> um, but I want to talk about mythical experience and why mythology is so important um, in our understanding of the world and why we had storytellers in ancient times because these storytellers were the ones who gave us a narrative. They gave us, um, you know, we symbology, they gave us those metaphors, they gave us an understanding of how we fit into the equation in the world. And that no longer exists necessarily within the current context of, you know, the Western world. And the reason why it's because there was this huge separation, and people know this, between religion and science. And there was a split between it. 
Um, and what ended up happening is there was this duality that was sort of created. Um, and it was like the, the spiritual had no place for science, science had no place for religion. And now what we're start, starting to see is that science is not necessarily looking to religion, but looking to the mystics and looking to mystical experience and looking at the ancient um, mysticism to describe what's happening in science because now they don't know. Okay, so it's good because within the mystical experience, we have these um, metaphors, we have these narratives, these stories that kind of help us move through the world. They help us to grow. They help us to understand where we fit in to this narrative. And I think people are constantly searching, well, who am I? Well, you're everything and nothing, right? At the same time. And those two concepts are like, well, that's a paradox. How could I be nothing and everything? And when you understand sort of how it might operate, if you put some structure to that, you might understand what that means. The structure being your body being the vessel of nothing that has the potential for everything to move through it. And by everything, I'm talking about these greater mythical stories that get played out. Now, Carl Jung, okay, um, I'm not a Jungian analysis um, analyzer. I don't analyze Jung's work, and there's some things I don't agree with with Jung as well. However, he tapped into the spiritual alchemy and creative potential, and he started to reincorporate what I believe is mythical experience. So, um, and he called it archetypal patterning. That's what he would call the archetypes, right? How these archetypes or motifs play out within the subconscious mind or the collective conscious. And that right there is how our lives get played out in some form. Now, here's what's important. And I'm going to tell you from my perspective um, and from my story, how you guys can utilize it in your life to help you. Like literally, it could be a roadmap for you to maybe escape uh, the current patterning that you're under. Maybe it's a mental construct. Maybe it's the family construct. Maybe it's the programming that you're trying to understand how to break free from. And, you know, you have tons of people who say, break free from the program, free your mind, liberate your mind, ascend. And they're teaching you all this stuff. And the reality is, is that we are sort of stuck in a narrative. And how do we know that? Well, we communicate through symbols right? We have symbols everywhere and language is symbols and the vibration and tonality of us describing things are really symbols. So even me talking now, somebody constructed these symbols and it, it allowed me to communicate my experience. So that storyline that we create is really the experiences that we're having. And it could be in the dream world. It could be in your own um, personal waking world. It could be happening in the collective uh, unconscious. It could be happening in the unconscious mind. It could be happening in the conscious mind. It could be happening in the subconscious mind. So there's all these places where narrative happens, right? So we, we look at the dream world and there's a narrative going on, right? We have, if for people who dream, I dream every night, remember my dream every day, one of those people. And so when we're dreaming, that's a narrative. Now, the narrative plays out in storylines. There's storylines, right? And, and so we can say there's some kind of a myth, right? There's something happening there. There's characters that are showing up. Well, the same in our waking world, 
Okay, so the myth gives us a narrative, uh, a kind of a holding place, a, a context, a container in which we can see our life. Really kind of important in a lot of ways. Hey, Nightfire, how are you? Hey, whoever's on Facebook, say hello. Cheers to you. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Okay, so there's great myths that are already out there that you can start to look at. And you can ask yourself, what myth might I, you know, relate to? Because it gives us some indication about what's to come next. Now, they call this prophecy, right? People will say, oh, they were prophets. They were this or that. No, they were able to recognize patternings because they see this patterns do play out over and over and over again, um, maybe in different ways. So for instance, we'll have a movie, right? That is based off of maybe a comic book, right? Which is a narrative that was created. It's a hero's journey. And they say, well, the next producers, they spin it a little bit different, but it's the same story. That's kind of what happens with us. It might look a little different, but it gets still the characters get played out kind of different, um, the same, but it looks different. So when you understand what myth you might be under or operating through, you can kind of understand the characters in your life, which is, it's pretty powerful stuff to look at. So uh, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, we have native mythology. I mean, all of these great myths come from different, different locations, right? And every ancient culture had a myth, um, had a story. Um, and those stories were the oral tradition that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it helped people to sort of understand. Yes, it does. I have continued previously unfinished dreams. Even one, um, even one from when I was a child, I have talked to multiple people who claim to have full control over their bodies or avatars, as you suggest, and can even play out um, their dreams as they see fit. Yes, and lucid dreaming, and even in the even in the waking world, we have the ability to do this. And um, I was on a podcast the other day with some individuals who invited me into their chat. Um, and the, the person who was speaking was talking about the context and the context being that greater space of we are the creator of the narrative. We become the master of the narrative. Um, we are able to, it's, so when you master this stuff, it's like that, right? We have control and I don't want to say control in the way that we can control others, which you could, but we can't control the everything, but we can control everything within our world if that makes sense because it's greater there's a greater thing happening but we can we can embody the context of that happening and flow the context being that we become the everything and the no thing but the manifestation and that's where manifestation it really truly exists um i know people talk about manifestation all the time law of attraction all that kind of stuff and the reality is, is it's not as easy as it seems because it takes a lot of work to get there. You don't just get there overnight. It's not just a one-time thing where you pray and hope something comes. It's not how it works. You have to understand who you are in the narrative and how things are getting played out, right? Just like the characters in the dream. You're all of them, but you're none of them, <laughs> which is like, how does that work, right? Um, how did I construct these whole worlds that I go to in my dreams? Where did they come from? How did they arise? 
well, I'm the creator of that. My, my subconscious mind, but is it tapping into something greater? Absolutely. And that, that world wasn't honored by science for a long time. Psychology being the only maybe um, area of study or philosophy that said, hey, let's really look at that. And now we're reintegrating these things back into science because science doesn't really know what to do anymore. You know, they try to outwit, like I say, they try to outwit God and they have proof that they can't. <laughs> right. And by God, I mean, creator, whatever you want to call it, you know, however you say it, this bigger thing that's happening that we think we can understand and we just really can't. We're no, I don't think we, we, we ever will. We shouldn't. Why should we? Why should we understand all of that information? It's too much for our bodies. Um, we would go crazy. I always um, refer back to that movie, um, uh, the the Crystal Skulls with Indiana Jones, when the lady at the end wants to know everything, and the aliens say, "Well, they don't want to because they know what's going to happen," and so they say, "Fine, you want to know everything," and then she explodes, you know, because it's just too much. Or Lucy alludes to this as well um, in the movie Lucy, where she uh, becomes the computer and the super, but she disappears. So we would disappear. There was just no way for us to understand and know everything. Um, and science thought we could. And people are constantly saying the theory of everything. Well, the theory of everything is really we know nothing. You know, we only know what we know. But the context and the narratives and the motifs and the the art and the the sacred geometry that we see within nature does exist within us as well. And that's something that we can kind of say, well, how do we utilize this? So go to some of the myths. Um, I would say there's, like I said, there's Greek, there's Roman, there's even native traditions have their myths, you know, um, and even ancient tribes of, of different countries. They all had these myths that they talked about. Those myths kind of give us an idea, you know, they talk about how the great mother came and what that means. And, um, you know, I think with Greek mythology, um, which is, you know, kind of something we looked at, there's, you have Zeus, I mean, you have this whole pantheon of different motifs and people, what they did is rather than understanding that these myths um, were a way for us to understand the world, glorified them as gods, and then, you know, forgot that, no, that's not, I mean, that's not really what was happening. What was happening is they're saying, here's a way to deal with the world. Um, you know, you have, um, one of the things that I, I want to talk about, which is a big one, is narcissists, because people throw around the term narcissistic person and all this, which I did as well. But people don't understand that the word narcissist came from the myth narcissist, and people don't even know what that myth is. And so I think when Freud came in and sort of put a clinical diagnosis to it, he was incorrect in the way that he actually did it based on the myth story. So if you go back to the myth story and you start to understand what the myth has to offer, you're going to come up with a whole different um, understanding of what narcissist means. So the clinical end of it was sort of, a, uh, they wanted to put a scientific uh, understanding to these myths. And, you know, they're not, they're, there's different interpretations. It's open. To be interpreted in different ways so people will throw around the word narcissist and again i did as well and i looked at the clinical understanding of the word um and really the myth plays out with you know a young boy who wanted um 
he was in love with wisdom and self-love. He wanted knowledge and self-love. And he, he put that above everything else. That was his priority. That's what he wanted. And he turned away all of the people who admired him because people admired him. He was, he was a good looking guy. And so all these nymphs and everybody would, would, he had all these admirers and he didn't want to be, he didn't want them. He was like, I don't want you. I want self wisdom, self understanding, self knowledge. And then echo, the word echo comes from the myth of narcissists and echo. So people don't know this stuff, right? And we throw these words out, not really truly understanding the true meaning of them. And I say, go a little bit further right? Understand the myth, understand how that myth might be playing out in your life. What does it mean for you? Echo could be, um, if we looked at the word narcissist really, and we saw that we would say that maybe, um, people who are within the myth of narcissists that everybody around them would echo what they're doing. Okay. They would echo everything that they're doing, not realizing that they are admiring and echoing them. Well, we, we see that all the time. People are trying to be like other people, right? So are we narcissistic? Or are we echo? So understanding the full myth. And then there's other things going on, like the mirror and the image and looking at the mirror and wanting this false image to show up. That's not really there, but trying to reach out to grab it. And it's never really there. That really is a person of, who wants perfection someone who wants perfection. So there's different ways to play with this, with this myth story and to understand it. But we, right, will go to the clinical diagnosis and say, you know, that's a narcissistic person. Well, we don't even know what we're saying. We don't even know what that means. We just took like few, and me too, again, a few words from that and then we say it, but there was a whole myth behind it. And Freud came in and Freud said, oh, let me put this diagnosis in scientific terms. And there's a ton of people um, in the clinical sense who don't agree with what he, what he had to say. So Freud came in and did some crazy shit in psychology. And just so you know, I was born on the same day as Freud. <laughs> just thought I'd say that. Just thought I'd throw that out there. He was born on May 6th, and that's when I was born, which is kind of crazy. So I feel like maybe I'm coming to fix his wrongs where he narcissist was a big big part of his work and talking about narcissism um and i think he he got it wrong um you know he didn't get it right um and i think there's psychologists out there that are saying yeah this was incorrect so go back to the myth because the myth is a really important way that we can understand the world we have persephone right and we have i mean we have all these different characters that get played out and we embody those mythical characters we embody them so and you even see this right people will say oh they're evil they're embodying these things we see um if you look at like hollywood right when you think about hollywood when you see these women or men on stage performing they're embodying a mythical character and people call them evil or whatever. They say, well, it's not me. I was possessed by something. When I get on stage, I become a totally different person. What they're doing is opening their vessel to receive that, that energy. Now, scary, right? Because it's like, well, I want to have control over me. Well, who are you? What is it that you're embodying? 
what truly is the energy that's living within you? What are the characters that are playing out within your own psyche? How are those characters, you know, maneuvering through your relationships? How are you dealing with your relationships? What does it have to tell you? What's the potential that it has to tell you, inform you how to play out? So me looking at, you know, the term and looking at the myth of narcissists and what does it mean for me? If I felt like I was being subjected to a narcissistic person, what would that mean? Well, the reality is I wasn't. That's not the truth, right? The truth is the myth was playing out completely different than I thought, but I didn't know the myth. I just knew the clinical term. And when I understood the myth, everything shifted. Reprogramming, neural rewiring happened. And then I understood a little bit better, not because it's exactly the same, but because it allows us to have a context behind the inner workings of our psyche. So these myths play out over and over and over again. We call it the hero's journey. It's part of spiritual alchemy as well. It's seen in tarot. We see that tarot has all these archetypal characters. And I don't even know about the word archetypal. I just keep saying it because that's what Jung used. And, you know, we could call it personality type. Somebody um, on the uh, podcast that was on Gino. Oh, so you, you read Carl Jung. Do you know about the personality types? And I said, like what and then Myers-Briggs and there's amograms and all this stuff and I said well you know the reality is those personalities there's a bigger part than just personalities what they've done is compart compartmentalize it into a few things we're so much more than just that and when we start to untangle the myth and we get out of the personality type oh you're a controller oh you're a supporter oh you're a a type, B type. No, I'm not an any type. I'm a human that's having this experience and I could be anything and nothing at the same time. But there in my psyche and my programming lay hidden is a programming of a hero's journey of a myth, of a, of a narrative that I've been taking. You're, you're on this narrative, this, this symbolic journey, and that symbolic journey equates to the language we use, to the, the way that we speak, to the context in which we create, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and sometimes we don't know how to get out of it, and we can't break the patterning. We don't know how to. We don't know how to break the patterns of our life, and then we get the same shit over and over. Like, you see it. People will be in a relationship, right? And then they'll get out of that relationship just to get into another relationship exactly the same. Or, you know, people will be in a situation and then they'll get out of it and then they'll end up in the same situation. Different characters show up. Well, what what is it? They were like, well, the lesson's not being learned. Well, maybe lessons are being learned, but there's something deeper. Who are you in the equation that you're drawing in this type of energy? This is where personal responsibility comes in. This is where you look at yourself and say, okay, characters are showing up. Go to the myth stories. Go to the bigger narrative. And then ask yourself, what happens to the character in this particular narrative? Right? We have Atlas. We have, we have so many different, there's a pantheon, right? They called them the gods, but really they were energies that we were embodying. And and each one of us has that. 
So you can look, Dionysus, Aphrodite, I mean, these are all Greek myth, whatever, but they've played out even within the Christianity. People don't really know that. Some people do. I think now that we have more information, they've taken all of these characters and put them into the Bible um, and they've been played out over and over and over again. And then we see it over and over and over again. And so you are playing out a myth, something bigger patterning happening in the, in the subconscious, in the collective unconscious and in the conscious and unconscious mind. Not to be too cheap, but how do you justify that without being biased? Justify what? Tell me what you mean, Nightfire. Give me a little bit more context to work with here. Because we are, we do have biases. You can't, I don't know that we can live without bias. I think that's part of our nature. Um, and to be bias-free would be to sit in the Alps, <laughs> sit on the top of a mountain with your eyes closed in perfect harmony forever. It's not the case. We live in a world. So we have biases, we have judgment, and I think people are afraid of those words because they're afraid they're wrong, and they're not. They, they help us to survive. Like we as a species wouldn't survive without all those things. But um, so, but I don't know exactly. I, I'm not 100% uh, sure what you're asking with that question. So just if you can give me some more, um, write some more so I can understand what you're asking. Um, and please be too deep. There's no such thing as too deep. You know, I, that's me. Deep, deep, deep. Some people tell me I'm too deep all the time. They're like, dumb it down. I'm like, I'm not, and then someone said, don't dumb it down. I said, I'm going to dumb it down. I'm just going to speak the way I speak. Also, well, I'm waiting for you to, to think people have different ways of communicating the same thing. So language is important. So you will radiate or magnify towards people who are speaking something that you understand. Now, when we look at the um, ancient um, individuals who have reached a state of, of um, transcendence, we see that they were able to reach the masses. They, they created a language that was common for everybody to understand. Um, and that's the trick. But there are individuals left and right sort of saying the same thing using different language. And right now we don't have a, a specific language that can describe what we, a new narrative. We need a new narrative, new symbols, new language. So my language is completely different than, the way that I talk about this is different than even Carl Jung would talk about it, than even, um, who else do we have? Walter Russell um, is someone that I that I follow, or um, these alchemists, or um, Manly P. Hall, or who you know, whatever. Even these people that no one liked, these alchemists like um, Alistair Crawley or Israel Regardi, and all these individuals, they had their way of speaking about it. I have my way of speaking about it, and right now we have individuals left and right speaking in different tongues, different language. Um, and so for us to understand the narrative, we're sort of constructing our own language. We even have integral theory right now where the language they're speaking of, and I don't agree with their language in a lot of ways because um, the um, language itself will have a result or consequence in how we operate in the world. Language creates, um, it gives us the context in which to describe our experiences, and that can be distorted because of course, our perceptions are all different. And so it's really hard 
right? Everybody's going to have sort of this, but a collective narrative will start to surface. And that collective narrative will be the paradigm that shifts our consciousness in the world altogether. And that's where we see right now. Um, so, you know, when we think about, I guess, did I answer your question? I fire, obviously, because I don't see you writing anything else. Um, so yeah, we are biased. You can't, we have, a, a, they call it the unconscious bias. Um, and they talk about that in particularly in, um, um, what is it? Uh, when they're talking about oppression. So the unconscious bias, and there's tons of them and we have them, but it, it keeps us to survive. If I drive up to a, um, a gas station and I see somebody that I feel is sketchy, right? Going in and, and then comes running out, you know, my bias is going to be, oh, that individual stole something or is dangerous well that bias will help me to survive what they may not be and it may be a judgment but that judgment's kept me alive what if they did what if they had a gun what if they didn't okay so you know you just but recognizing your biases is important too um especially when they're not justified or needed and i think that's kind of where the distinction is there you know, there's times like, for instance, um, where bias really shows up and it's unjustified is, you know, in race, right? When we talk about race, which we're really all one race, but, you know, when we talk about color, color, right? When we talk about color of skin, we see that happens. We see that show up and people have a bias towards a, a color, right? They created it. That was a construct of us. It didn't have to be that way. Or we look at classism, right? If we look at different classes of people, like if you go to the slums, right? When I lived in, you go to the slums, there's this bias about those individuals. Um, is it unjustified? Yeah, you don't know how they are until you talk to them, right? Each individual has their own, just because they come from a slum doesn't make them a bad person, right? Or just because they come from poverty or even the people on the top, I kind of, it's funny, there's that um, quote that they're like, my dad always told me to treat the janitor like I treat the CEO. And I'm like, really? I was always told to treat the CEO like I treat the janitor because I always had this um, disgust for, for people at the top because I thought they were corrupt, right? And so there's a bias there. And, and for me, I was constantly questioning authority. I didn't like authority. And I thought, no, you don't get to tell me. You don't get to bark at me orders. So um and and think that you can do this and then you're not even doing it so don't if you're not practicing what you preach don't tell me what to do right so that was my construct but i had a bias towards them and my bias and judgment was it unjust of course because i don't know them i don't know the people at the top there could be some really great people that are ceos cfos in fact i do know <laughs> great people but those biases sort of can be unjust and when we recognize them and talk about them we liberate ourselves from it and we, we also are able to reflect and grow in consciousness, right? Because our judgments are fine. You know, judgments happen. Again, we needed them to survive. We had to judge if we we're going to get eaten or not eaten, if we should go to the cave or not. Um, but we've created um, these judgments that don't need to be there. And out of fear of what? Death, pretty much. Um, so, yeah. So it's there. And that's okay. Remember, this is not 
right, wrong, good, or bad. That's another thing we talked about on that podcast was the right, wrong, good, bad. It's hard to get out of that understanding, especially when you're talking about bigger things like, you know, um, sex trafficking, we're talking about um, pedophiles and all these things. It's like, well, that's not right. I don't think it's right. Okay, but when we look at it in the larger context, right, wrong, good, or bad, I don't know. I can't, for me, because I even had a friend, you don't believe in the death penalty. You don't believe. I said, no, because think about what Jesus said. Like, if I go and, and say someone should die, and that person, the, the person murdered somebody, well, I'm becoming that person. I'm just taking on that character. So I don't know what happened to that individual that led them to that, right? But I, I, I can't judge that. I can't judge it and I can't say you're wrong. That's not up to me. Do I inherently think it's wrong? Yes. Would I do it? No. Like my moral principle says that's not right. But that individual somehow felt justified doing that. Why? My question is why? How did, it, how did that person come to that? What was it that drove them into that state of mind to be able to harm another? What happened, right? Is it ever justified in my mind? Not necessarily. No. So, but it's hard because then how do you deal with this stuff? And this is where philosophy and all that stuff came in, paradoxes. And 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 you are, you're going to be a paradox. I'm a paradox sometimes. And sometimes I'm a conundrum and I'm, and, 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 and you go in circles, but you know, we don't have the whole, we can never know the whole picture. So it's really hard. That's why these, these narratives are really important to understand. That's why the myth is important to understand. So I highly encourage that you go out. Here's your homework. I like to give homework. To go out, think, reflect upon your relationships, reflect upon yourself and ask yourself, start looking at the myths and start saying, well, what care, even in, sometimes it's easy just to look at characters in like, TV shows, like in, in movies, right? Movies is, there's so many heroes journey. Like I kind of relate to that character. Well, if you do, I guarantee that every character that you see is a, is a character that came from an ancient character. People think they're these new characters were created. Mm, You can, but they really probably come from an old narrative and you can find the old narrative and kind of look at the myth behind it and say, okay, you know, that is how it's playing out in my life. And then you can reflect upon it and say, well, what? how does this person interact with other relationships? And how does that show up? And what is the actual storyline of this particular mythical character? And you are that person. You are that mythical character playing out a game. And then you can say, okay, now I know what to do next. Now I understand what can possibly come next. And then it's almost like you're predicting the future, but really what you're doing is you're seeing what happens within the myth and you kind of know how it's going to play out. And it does. It plays out. It's pretty crazy. Be honest with you. Once you start understanding this stuff and, and really diving deep into it and applying it to your life, not talking about it, but applying it to your life, you're going to see a transformation, even a neural wiring transformation in the mind. The difference in my mind after going through this process is peace and harmony. I was ridden with anxiety, and that's how I got rid of the anxiety. Not rid of it. Well, rid of it for now.
I'm not saying that it won't come back ever, but the trauma that was held within my body got released because of it. And now I'm at peace. And the neural wiring just went all of these old narratives started coming up. My relationships, I could see flashes of visions and all, everything started to, and it was crazy all in like, boom, like that. But it takes work and you got to put yourself into the work. So you've got to apply it. So that's your homework. Okay. All right. So there you have it. I love you guys so much. Have the most magnificent, marvelous, miraculous, monumentous, magical, mystical Monday ever. And I will see y'all tomorrow. Bye-bye.